Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast coming to you on a Sunday, one day after a pretty tough back-to-back for our Pistons, uh, playing the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. That was last time we saw our team uh, just last night, a 111-107 loss to the Raptors. So to talk about the last few games, what we saw in the month of January and kind of wrap up uh, the month of basketball and also look at some things that are up on the horizon, like the All-Star game, uh, the trade deadline is coming up, and also just the long-term prospects of this team. So to join me to talk about all of those things, of course, as he does on every episode of the Troy Bad Boys podcast, is Ben Gulker. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great, guys. Jordan, Jacob, more than halfway through the NBA season. I can't believe it. Time is flying. It's crazy. We're getting close to game number 50. It'll be uh, uh, tomorrow's game. And uh, also joining us is Jacob Kivenhoven, our resident Grand Rapids, well, a Grand Rapids resident and a resident D-League correspondent. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So let's start with uh, the last few games, and then we'll kind of go uh, we'll go bigger picture from there. So uh, we have been, Pistons have gone 4-6 and six in our last 10 games, uh, including the last two being losses to the Cavs and the Raptors. Uh, two tough games, uh, but against good teams. And really looking at the month of January, uh, the team overall had a losing record, 7-8 and eight in the month of January. Uh, is there anything to worry about? Jacob, I'll start with you. Is there anything uh, recently that you've seen that makes you worry about the Pistons at all? I wouldn't really say so. I mean, the last two games were not great. It was a nice little garbage time rally in the Toronto game, but Toronto was coming off a 10-game winning streak. We were playing them on the back end of a back-to-back on the road, and Cleveland's Cleveland. You know, we've beaten them before, but, you know, it's a team that's pretty much consistently mentioned as one of the three or four best teams in the league. So I think we're something like 4-7 and seven in our last 11, but there aren't any losses that really stand out to me as like, uh-oh, you know, our playoff hopes might be in trouble. Yeah, what about you, Ben? Anything that... uh raises a red flag for you in this last uh, week or even month of basketball? I largely agree, except uh, for that loss to the Pelicans. That was painful to me. And, uh, you know, looking at that game moving forward, four losses and two wins, that was kind of the low point of the season for me, in my opinion. So, fortunately, we've got the Nets coming up. Hopefully that'll be a bounce-back game a little bit. Um, Not terribly worried, not long-term worried. I think it's probably just a short-term slump. Uh, maybe guys getting a little tired. We've seen a lot of guys playing huge minutes for this team. I'm kind of thinking the All-Star break is coming at a pretty good time, get guys rested up and ready to go for a playoff push. Yeah, definitely. And I'll add uh, as another bad loss, that Denver loss, which looking back, yeah. those those two games that kind of uh, were in the middle of that little mini road stretch with New Orleans and Denver, uh, just two tough losses. And, and Denver sticks out to me just because it was close at the end and we allowed you know Gallinari and, and, and that the, you know, the whole shot at the end of the game to kind of beat us. But looking at the games leading up to the deadline, or excuse me, yeah, leading up to the All-Star break, you're right, Ben, it's not too bad. We've got Brooklyn, the Knicks, Indiana, and Denver in that stretch. Um, Not bad going into the All-Star break, so I think there's a good chance to finish what is usually used as kind of one of the, you know, one of the fence posts of the NBA season pretty strong. Uh, Do you like the odds of the Pistons going in a little bit stronger to the the All-Star break? Yeah, I like it a lot. I think you know, when you look back at the month of January, yeah, losing record, that's a good point. Um, but as Jacob said, the losses were, for the most part, to solid teams, apart from that, you know, little skid they went on there on the West Coast uh, road trip. So, yeah, I think it's they're still a quality team. Uh, I, th- I do think fatigue has been a problem. I think the fact that we don't go that deep 
is catching up with us a little bit. You look at Reggie Jackson in particular, he's had a couple of duds over the last couple of games, and I think some of that might be the fact that he's playing such huge minutes. But, yeah, a little bit of an easy schedule going into the break. You know, I'd like to see us get three or four wins there, uh, and and maybe maybe five. Um, so, yeah, I, I like our chances of, of going, in, going in strong. It is also, it's also per- probably worth mentioning that Reggie was super, super flat last night against Toronto. He had 13 points, one rebound, one assist, and they said after the game that he was struggling with some dehydration. So there's a real yeah. example of the fatigue sort of setting in. Yeah, I kind of expected to see more out of Reggie after he was snubbed, and I'll put that in air quotes because I'm sure we'll talk about that next uh, from the All-Star ballot. But you're right, it, having an issue like dehydration and also just the schedule recently has not been very kind. And with the minutes he's logging, you're right, Ben, uh, you're going to have nights like that, and especially back-to-back against good teams and, and the travel that's been involved recently. Uh, the team was on the road a lot in January, and I think that was a big part of it. Uh, But let's talk about Reggie. Uh, Reggie was left off the final reserve ballot of the Eastern Conference All-Stars and is one of the names that, no matter where you look, is kind of one of the few guys that has a case in the Eastern Conference to make the All-Star game. Uh, Do you consider it a snub that he was left off the ballot, Ben? I had four point guards that I was considering when we were throwing around, you know, our ideas for the All-Star game. I think Lowry was a, a lock to start, and I think they got that right. Then you've got Isaiah Thomas, John Wall, and Reggie Jackson. And personally, I would have taken Jackson over Wall. I think Jackson is having a more impactful season for an overall stronger team. Uh, So I I think for me, he would be an all-star. But with that said, the way that the coaches pick the reserves for the all-star game, they're usually looking at guys who are putting up really gaudy, counting stats like points per game and assists per game and John Wall's got the slight edge there and John Wall is the former number one pick with a lot bigger name so not at all surprising to me um and really I would have said 60 40 Reggie over Wall so I I don't think it's a huge snub even though I did think he earned his way into the game this year uh he's Certainly a guy that you could look at as an all-star and nobody would bat an eye if he was selected as an all-star, but I don't think he's clearly better than any of the guys who got in. I think it's a pretty close call. I might actually say he's better than Wade right now, but Wade was voted in. I guess with Isaiah Thomas, that's a real, another really close call, but I don't know if you want to have two Pistons on there and no Celtics at all when the Celtics are several spots above them in the East. Yeah, true, and I, I think... Uh, Thomas was definitely one that was right on that right on that edge where you can make a uh, an argument between him and Jackson. Uh, are both of you happy though with the play of Reggie Jackson through the first half of the season? Are you happy with what you've seen, especially given the contract we gave him in the off season? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, we took a big leap leap of faith on Reggie Jackson. I think that was a contract that was pretty laughed at by some people around the league, and I haven't heard anything of that sort. He's definitely played his way into making that look like a good, actually kind of a nice contract for the Pistons. So I'm very happy with how Reggie Jackson has played this year, yes. I would have to agree. I would say, you know, if you just put up, if, if you go to Basketball Reference or, or NBA.com and look at the stats, compare compare this season, what Reggie Jackson is doing in a starting role for the first time full-time against John Wall, they're almost indistinguishable. And I think around the NBA, just about everybody would tell you that Don Wall is a max player or, or, or near max player at, at the very minimum. So, yeah, I think he's he's played really well. I think 
defensively, he could still he could still be better. I think Van Gundy's commented, you know, just a few games ago, he talked about how uh, Reggie had a particularly strong performance on the defensive side of the ball. But offensively, I've really come to enjoy him. I was very lukewarm on him a season ago, um, but I've really come to be a big fan of Reggie Jackson. Uh, and I think the numbers bear it out. He's been a very effective player this year. Yeah, I, especially there were things, you're right, that I've really kind of grown uh, to enjoy his game. And I was nervous at first. There were things about his game that I was really worried about, one of which was his three-point shooting. And I just saw the way the league was going, and we were bringing in a player that he was probably a, a below-average three-point shooter at that point in his career. And while he's he's basically stabilized as a, as a shooter, and he's never going to be a great shooter – it is nice that he can he can find other ways to run an offense and to find his own points, and it's been really enjoyable. And having him on the floor is just such a big difference for that team. Uh, but it has also been nice to see Brandon Jennings playing better as well uh, and kind of uh, giving us a different look at how the point guard spot can be ran with the way that he you know doesn't mind taking, <laughs> taking shots and uh, kind of giving that bench a bit of a spark. Uh, I think it's been really nice to see Jennings back. I'm surprised that the team hasn't won some of those close games uh, with any sort of Jennings magic yet. There hasn't been that moment yet this season. Maybe that's still to come. But we will have one player in the All-Star game, Andre Drummond, of course, as he should have been on the uh, Eastern Conference uh, reserve spot. He uh, earned a spot there, averaging 17 points, 15 rebounds a game right now. The last time he had a chance on a stage like that was the Rising Stars game a few seasons ago and put up a huge performance and ended up winning the MVP, of course, the moment when he broke the trophy. Or actually, the trophy that was, while it was being handed to him, fell off its <laughs> plaque. I don't want to put that on him. It was not his fault. What do you think of Andre Drummond in this uh, in this spotlight? Do you, do you think he'll uh, he'll shine in the All-Star game? I mean, he's an, uh, he's awesome at finishing lobs, and that's basically what the All-Star game is all about. So I'm excited True. for him to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was my first thought when he, he was announced as an all-star. I, I thought, wow, they're going to love throwing lobs because defense is at a minimum. And I also think there's an opportunity for some pretty monster put-back dunks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him play the passing lanes, try to get one of his patented awkward dribble-up three-quarters of the floor dunk that ends up you know ends up scoring points but looks a little strange in the process. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, look at the NBA right now. He's probably you know, top two or three in terms of athleticism at the big men position. The all-star game with no defense should be a chance for him to really to really make his mark. Yeah, and and it's not like, uh, you know, hopefully his uh, his free throw shooting won't be on display. Hopefully the thing, that's not the thing that gets the spotlight. Hopefully it's just that, that transition and the lack of defense he gets a chance to really dominate. Pop's, Pop's going to hack him. <laughs> During the game, if they go to hack a drum in the All Star game, I might even switch sides and join Sean. And I agree. I said the same thing. Until it costs us a playoff game, or it happens in the All Star game, I'll add that as well. I'm, I'll stay on uh, your side of that of that debate. It would be nice. I will say, I think it would be nice if Reggie can find a way in. Not that I'm rooting for an Eastern Conference guard currently on the roster to get an injury or something, but. I think this is a good year for him to get in because John Wall and Kyrie Irving usually are going to have spots the way Kyle Lowry is playing. You could see him playing like that for a few more seasons. So I think this was, because of Kyrie's injury, one of the few good chances uh, for Reggie Jackson to get in. So I would love to see him get in this season, and to see him and Drummond together would be would be great. So, uh, you know, there's I, w- I want to hold on to a little bit of hope that maybe he does sneak in, but... Uh, at this point, it does look like he uh, he will be on the outside, but hopefully he uses that as a motivation. 
Yeah, and I think, too, if the Pistons progress, and we're going to talk a little bit about their long-term ceiling, if they progress and become a 50-win team over the next two years, if you've got a 50-win team in the East and you're only sending one guy to the All-Star game, I think the coaches around the league are going to be uh, perceptive to that. And I think the obvious guy, if there's another Piston that belongs in the All-Star game, is Reggie Jackson. So while there are definitely some strong guards in the East, particularly point guards, um, I think if the Pistons get better, he's got a real chance in the next couple of years as well. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's go ahead and focus on that, this kind of longer-term ceiling. Jacob, I know this was something you wanted to talk about, and I think it'll give us a chance to talk about the team and the current players on the roster and then have some fun with some other players that maybe we can add to that future core of the Pistons. Uh, but just looking at the team's kind of longer, you know, beyond this season, uh, you know, no matter if we're an all-star team or not, how do you just see us lined up uh, for the future? Do you, do you like this core? What do you see us missing, Ben, going forward? So the first thing that comes to my mind right now is Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Um, is he the long-term answer at shooting guard as a starter who's playing 30-plus minutes a game? Or is he more of a specialist, a 3-and-D kind of guy who maybe he's playing 20 minutes, maybe he's playing 30 minutes, depending on matchups. Now, over the last few you know, the last few weeks, he's put up some fantastic numbers. He's shot the ball really well, and he's actually created, which is something that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but really created his own looks, which is not something he's really excelled at. So for me, that's where I start when I'm thinking about long-term ceiling. We know who Reggie Jackson is. We know who Andre Drummond is. Who is KCP going to be over the remainder of this season, over the last uh, 30-plus games? Is he going to emerge and continue this recent trend? Or, you know, is this just a short-term hot streak and, and he's really not the consistent offensive player that we hope he can become? So that's where I'd start uh, because uh, he's the one young guy other than Stanley Johnson who could really play his way into the core. And the rest of the guys we've got are really kind of replaceable parts. So that's where yeah. I'd start the conversations with KCP. Would you pay KCP $20 million a year when he hits restricted free agency? Because that's what he's going to command. Today? No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no I, way. I agree. I don't, I don't think he's quite worth that. I'm not sure if that's what he, well, of course, with the cap going up, I guess I might have to get used to a player like Contavious Caldwell-Pope asking that, for that much money. 20 might be much, but I would say at least 15 because he is a guy who can shoot threes and defend, or at least theoretically that's what he's supposed to be able to do. I think of the new cap, uh, the way that I've thought about it, that's I've read this places and it's been really helpful for me, is just an average starter is going to make $15 million a year. So if you have an above-average starter who's also, you know, KCP's age, he's very young, you'd be getting True. him through the prime of his career. And there's just so much money out there that I could see it being in the 15 to $20 million a year range. If all things were equal, so if, if the only thing he could improve between now and the end of the season were his three-point shooting, if he could shoot 36% for the rest of the year, I could see him making sort of that average starter money. But at 31% three-point shooting this season, to me, that that's just not good enough. Uh, and he's really got to move the needle on that for me. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and has there been anything, Ben, I know you mentioned just the bit of streaky play this season. Has there been anything this season you've seen from KCP that makes you believe he's moving in the right direction, uh, becoming a, a kind of a quality starter who can play the minutes that he's been he's been getting this season? I'm a huge KCP fan, so 
I mean, I've been critical of him, I think, on the podcast because I think, you know, his offensive game hasn't really developed the way we'd hope to. I'm a huge fan of how hard he plays and how strong he is on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. I thought um, early in his career, his reputation for defense was actually probably a little better than the, what he was actually doing on the floor. This year, I think he's really emerged as a top-tier defensive wing player. So for me, he's already established himself. He's going to play in the NBA and have a successful career just for that reason. So I love defense, and for that reason, I'm a huge fan of KCP. Um, I think for me, again, it's the three-point shooting. But what I have seen over the last several games um, is movement without the basketball, leading to some of those Rip Hamilton-like curls and pops and and open mid-range jump shots so uh that to me is encouraging and then i think season long there's been a lot of talk around the blogosphere around um him improving a little bit with the basketball he didn't handle the ball much during his first you know early early uh, nba career definitely looks a more a little more comfortable with the ball so i'd say uh that's a positive but for me all of that stuff is peripheral to the shooting um which he's just got to get he's got to improve yeah, and I think I would feel a lot more comfortable with KCP if he was playing less minutes and if we had a veteran behind him that on those nights, given that he he's shown some inconsistency in his game, we could go to someone that we could rely on and give some quality minutes to without having to play a rookie like Stanley Johnson uh, out of position or, or do anything else to kind of make up for that. And that's really where we're missing Jody Meeks, I think. You're right. I have seen a big step um, in the right direction defensively. It does seem like he is handling the ball better. I, I do agree with you on that. But it would be nice, again, to have someone where we could start to take away some of those minutes to see, okay, for a good 32 minutes a night, what can you give us? You know, without knowing that you're going to have to play close to you know 38, uh, 40 minutes a game. I think that that time does matter when he's on the floor. Uh, so I'd love to see us have someone that can kind of take that burden away from him so he doesn't have to always feel like he has to do it all on his own sometimes. And I, I do think KCP really matters in terms of the team's future, but one of the interesting things I think is that we we basically know that with this current core, the Pistons can be a playoff team, and they can be a playoff team for a long time because mm-hmm. everybody on the team is pretty young. But we also are kind of hitting this sort of potential wall where it's like, these guys are good, but I don't know if Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson are necessarily good enough to lead a championship contender. Like you're sort of thinking that you need that third guy or you need a guy who's even better than those two because, and I don't know if KCP quite has the potential to be that. So the question I was sort of posing to you guys was like, are you okay with just kind of riding this car out and kind of just being the Memphis Grizzlies of the Eastern conference for a while where Ooh. you're just in that, three to five range and you win 50 games a year and maybe you'll have a chance to make the conference finals once like is that sort of the goal with this team or do you think we need to go chasing after like the big megastar that can play with Jackson and Drummond and take us to the finals that's a great question if first off are we setting ourselves up to be the Memphis Grizzlies that I think has a, a lot of questions in it, it you know it can Andre Drummond be the best player on a championship caliber basketball team that that would be my first question. So Ben, can Andre be be the best player on a championship team? He can be the best player at two thirds of the game on a championship team. Um, yeah, I always look at basketball as offense, defense. What do you do when you have the ball? What do you do when the other team has the ball? 
and then rebounding. What do you do when no one has the ball? I think Andre Drummond can be the best player on a championship team if he's focused on defense and rebounding. Um, but he does not have the offensive game of a Dwight Howard. And frankly, I, I personally just don't see a, a super high ceiling on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And when you look at this roster of struggles all year, it's been on the offensive side of the basketball. So, no, I don't think Andre Drummond can lead the offense. I think... Uh, Reggie's a really nice piece. Um, I don't know if we need a super-duper megastar or if we just need one or two guys who can initiate some of their own offense who are maybe that you know, $14, 15000000 million sort of number, mm-hmm. just starters who are, are good at the offensive side uh, of really some shot creation and efficient scoring. Yeah, I, I think that's a re- – Jacob, that's a really good question just because I, there are things I question about this core, is, is, and part of it is questioning – Drummond's game and then how you know what else we need to build around him and can we just build around him like Stan Van did the first time with Dwight Howard and is that going to be good enough to get this team to the finals I'm just I'm not really sure so that's that's where I'm kind of left wondering where this team goes and if that can get us in some trouble because we might end up chasing after someone else to try to bring into this yeah, and I think that's kind of the interesting part is, like, this is a really awesome core if we want to be the three to five seed for years and years and years, which, I mean, obviously any of us would have taken that a couple of years ago. But now we're kind of, you know, you're always wanting more. I want to have the Pistons as a, a championship caliber team, and we've seen it before with this franchise, and I, I believe we can get there. I, I can see Andre Drummond being part of it, but I don't know if he can be the best player. I think for exactly what you were talking about then – uh, and that leads us into this offseason. It's going to be so important, no matter how well we do in the playoffs. I, I think no matter the outcome of the playoffs, there there is going to be some change to this roster, uh, and it's going to be interesting what that is. And some of those improvements could actually come at the trade deadline. Uh, I know there's some big names out there, and um, you know we can kind of run through them, but do you, Ben, I guess I'll ask you first, do we need to bring in a superstar caliber player uh, to get this team to a championship level? Well, one thing I want to throw in here that could complicate it a little bit is is timeline. I think for another two to three years, as long as LeBron James is in the Eastern Conference, whatever team he's on is going to be the favorite in the East. So I wouldn't go all in this summer just yet. I would say Reggie Jackson's still got several years left of his prime. Mm-hmm. Andre's not there yet. KCP's not there yet. And then we've got a bunch of spare parts who are kind of in the prime of their career. So, yes, I think we need to add specifically at least one guy who's strong offensively, who can carry some of the load the way Marcus Morris does, but better than Marcus Morris is on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think we have to do that all this summer, though. I think we've Mm -hmm. still got a window of probably two, maybe three years before we have to add that that, uh, key piece because the, the the key players we have now are still so young, so that I, I mean I I love that Durant's available this year. That's a cool fantasy to have. <laughs> Kevin Love might be on the block. I'm a huge Kevin Love fan, but I don't think we have to go all in for either of those players right now. I think we've got more time than that. Yeah, I agree. And if in a, probably part of uh, everyone's individual timeline is what you think of some of the younger pieces on this team. What do you think of Stanley Johnson? Thoughts of KCP, and if those guys are our starters and what their ceiling is, I think plays a large role in how long that timeline really is. Because if, if you see Stanley Johnson as someone who can play at an all-star level a few seasons from now, I think that probably adjusts your timeline a, a bit and also adjusts what else we need on this team. 
Uh, so you're right. I, I think timeline does play into this. And it's going to be interesting to see how patient Stan Van Gundy, the executive, can be. Knowing that he has to coach this team, how patient can he be to get this team to a level that we know he wants to get this team to, to get it to a championship level, to get them competing for 50-plus win seasons and Eastern Conference you know, championships? I'm wondering how patient you know, he's going to be as, as an executive. Is there anything, uh, Jacob, that tells you that he's going to be patient or he's going to try to make a big move? I think, I mean, I, I definitely agree that there's no urgency to make a move if there's nothing out there. But, I mean, looking at someone like Kevin Love, if Kevin Love is all of a sudden awesome, then, well, we've lost our chance to get him. You know, so I think I think there is something to say for being opportunistic and going after, you know, like when, we, when he went after Reggie Jackson, it wasn't necessarily the best time to go after Reggie Jackson from a team standpoint. It's like you needed a... We had just started to play so much better with Jennings in tow, and then all of a sudden you're going to shake up your entire roster. And he said that, he said some stuff that was really interesting afterwards, knowing that it was going to make the team worse, but he thought it had a chance to make them better over the long haul. And that was something mm-hmm. I kind of admired because it wasn't something I expected from him at the time. So I think he is capable of that, but then again, that changes if the Pistons are a playoff team this year, which they kind of are, but. I think, you know, superstars just aren't going to be available. So when one's available, I think you kind of have to push your chips to the center. Yeah, and I I mean, I'm inclined to to agree. I just don't think it has to be forced. Like, I don't think it's now or never. But with that said, you know, there was an interesting fan post, and I don't remember the exact specifics, but it was something like Ilyasova, KCP, and a future pick, I think, for Kevin Love. And... I was surprised that a lot of the people as part of the DBB community were really opposed to that trade. <laughs> and I looked at it and thought, my goodness, we we would have to do a trade like that. Yeah, yeah that's that's just what fans are like, though. They're like, no, no KCP. He's untouchable. Well, we saw the reaction to trading DJ Augustine and how right. earth-shattering that was to some people. Or Kyle Singler, and now we see where Kyle Singler's career has kind of ended up in, in OKC. So you're right, <laughs> Jacob, you're right. It's just kind of that fan reaction. But I guess let's talk about Kevin Love maybe a little more... I don't know. Let, let, let's give it some time. Let, let's give some time to do trading for a guy like Kevin Love. And there are a few that I want to throw out there. I know we've spent some time in this podcast talking about Ryan Anderson, and it came out recently. I'm not sure how true this rumor was that Stan Van Gundy has interest in Ryan Anderson, but uh, is not looking to pursue him now that's someone he would be interested in pursuing in the offseason. I thought that was kind of interesting, given the position that the Pelicans are in, and uh, we would probably just be renting that player. I thought that was interesting. But what about those kind of disgruntled superstars that are out there? And let's start with with Kevin Love. Just judging off what you thought of that fan post, Ben, you would be interested in, in a trade that would bring Kevin Love to Detroit. Are there Absolutely. any ca- are there any caveats to that? Anyone that that you see untouchable involved in a in a Kevin Love trade? I wouldn't put Drummond on the table, um, and I don't think they would have any interest in Reggie Jackson. So Agreed. that's kind of a non-starter. Um, I don't know if we have enough to give him, frankly. I mean, I think some folks were thinking that we were giving too much. I think, if I remember correctly, it was Ilyasova, Tolliver, KCP, and a future first. And to me, mm-hmm. that really guts your roster for this year uh, and it probably makes the playoffs really hard to attain because you just have no depth, especially at the power forward position. But to me, Kevin Love is better than all of those players put together. Yeah. And I would do that trade in a heartbeat if it were on the table. I mean, no question I would do that trade in a heartbeat. I have a trade that I think the Cavs would have to take. 
and I would think about taking as the Pistons. Okay. And it would be uh, it would be Kevin Love and Della Vadova for Brandon Jennings, Ursan Ilyasova, uh, KCP, and the Pistons' first round pick this year. Ooh. Does that work? Yes, it's the the contracts are almost exactly equal. The trade machine says so. Yes, the trade machine says so. <laughs> I've All actually right, ran that, that one give through. Me that one more time, Jacob. Brandon Jennings, Ilyasova, KCP, our first round pick this year for Kevin Love and Della Vadova. I would do that trade. I agree. I and would I do that Cavs, trade. Like, why wouldn't the Cavs do that too? They get a massive upgrade at back backup point guard. They get a guy who kind of is like Kevin Love, but without the extra skills that they aren't using anyway. Exactly. They get off the yep. they get off the five year one hundred and ten million dollar contract they give them. And they get KCP, who is exactly what they need as a defensive wing stopper. Yeah. The way the Cavaliers use Kevin Love is so frustrating to me as someone who was such a fan of Kevin Love in Minnesota. And there were moments where I I really believed he was a top three to five player in the NBA. And given a good situation, could be an absolute superstar and someone you could build around, build a championship team around. And it's been so frustrating to see how he has been used. And I know everyone points to, well, since Tyron Lue has been head coach, he's getting more post-ups. Cool. It's just that's still not how you use a guy that has this dynamic of a skill set. But I think a lot of it has to do with that relationship and the dynamics between him and LeBron James. So I, I think it's worth a phone call. To Cleveland, I think it's worth a conversation, and the Pistons also being a front, uh, a very smart front office, should be interested in trading with the Cavaliers because this is the team that traded two first round picks for Timofey Mozgov. You know, yeah. David Griffin's given a lot of credit in this league, but this is still a guy who's made some mistakes and has definitely risked the future of the franchise to just give LeBron everything he wants. And I think we are getting very close. Uh, given the coaching situation and the turmoil in Cleveland, I think we're getting really close to a moment where Cleveland might panic again at the deadline and try to make you know try to make a big move. So, Jacob, I don't think that that trade is crazy. I, I really don't. And if if again, if LeBron James wants to get, um, if LeBron James has a list of demands and he takes that two weeks off and goes to South Beach and says, "Here's what I need when I come back," like he did last year, I think you could see a trade like that. Then I think from like this might all be a fantasy because maybe Kevin Love isn't really available. But I agree with you completely, Jordan, that the Cavs underutilize Kevin Love in just about every way imaginable. It's basically go stand in the corner while LeBron and Kyrie dribble around. I mean, that's basically what they do with Kevin Love. And I think people have forgotten just how dynamic of a post player he was in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, putting up insane offensive numbers with extraordinary efficiency, he would be exactly the sort of third option, throw it to him in the post and let him go to work, exactly the sort of option, the kind of thing I mean when I say we really need one more dynamic offensive player. So... And obviously a great fit because he does have the range to stretch the floor, so that the Drummond Jackson pick and roll can continue uh, pick and roll can continue to operate. Yeah, uh, I've got another trade that I was going to throw to you, and Ben, I'll ask you first. Really, the I'll, we'll do the you know who says no to a trade like this. Uh, but I ran it through the trade machine. I made I wanted to make sure this would work. Kevin Love for Brandon Jennings, Ursan Ilyasova, and two first round picks. Let's say twenty sixteen and twenty eighteen. Uh, those are two years that the Cavs are without first-round picks. Who says no to that trade? Cleveland. Cleveland says no? Yep. Because they, they don't care about picks four years from now. True. Because LeBron's 30. That would be my opinion. 
Yeah. I think they would be look they any trade for Kevin Love would have to give them a power forward option that allows them to compete this year in my opinion. Yeah, and and I will say just I think with Jacob straight in and mine as well, uh both trades if you have an, an injury to Kyrie Irving or if he can, kind of struggles to come back and and his health is a concern uh, the Cavaliers might be interested in adding a player like Brandon Jennings Absolutely. thinking about a playoff run this season so well, I, yeah I mean look no farther than the playoffs last year I mean yeah Kyrie it's exactly the problem they could have again this year where one of their key offensive players is not available to him or possibly not at 100%. So if that's lingering in the minds of that front office, a guy like Brandon Jennings' one-year rental might sound really appealing. Yeah, and I can't imagine they want to go into, you know, go into the postseason with Della Vadova and Mo Williams. I, I, I just don't see that as, as an answer. Uh, even having LeBron James, I know he, he took that team to the finals last season, but you know, having a player like Brandon Jennings, maybe that's maybe that's enough to entice them to to look at trading someone like Kevin Love. The question is, is he really even on the trade block? You know, I I don't know. Yeah, I think if you're a Pistons fan, if you're a fan of Kevin Love, come just to any NBA team outside of Cleveland. I think you have to hope that the next few weeks doesn't go well for the Cavaliers. That something goes wrong and leads to. Uh, a moment where that front office has to make a decision about how they stay relevant and you know try to challenge those Western Conference teams for for a title. So I hate to say it, but I'm 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 hoping for some, for something bad in Cleveland. You know, a locker. <laughs> I don't think a, you ever have to apologize. <laughs> I'm looking for a locker room fight. I want a, a touch and go moment with Kyrie Irving during a game. I'm not. I don't want to ruin his career. He's a nice young man, but you know, if, if there's a you know an MRI on Monday, they want to double check on, and it gives us the weekend to send a trade in quickly. Uh, I would be happy with something like that. Well, and I think another thing from the Cleveland perspective that you would have to be thinking about is how do you want to match up with the Golden State Warriors? Yep. Um, and I think realistically, a small lineup is probably more advantageous to them, which may make Kevin Love even more expendable, unless you're thinking and of they, him at the five. But And they probably saw how KCP defended Curry, too. Yep. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and then that's where KCP might have to be part of that deal uh, to bring in another wing defender and, and someone else that they can they can use in in, in matchups against uh, teams like Golden State. Uh, Jacob, if they wanted if they wanted Stanley Johnson instead of KCP, would you still do that trade? Ooh. Heck yeah, yeah, I would too. But I think I hesitate for a moment. But yeah, probably at the end of the day, if I'm getting Kevin Love, I just I I pull the trigger. I love Stanley's potential, but I mean, realistically, he has not done much in terms of production. Yeah, he yeah, is he's shooting, all potential he's shooting 37% right now. Thirty-seven percent from the field. Yeah, he is all potential right now. He takes the worst, just, and I'm not sure what it is. If there's some anxiety about getting all the way to the rim with Stanley Johnson, but those pull-up, I just have to get rid of the ball floaters. That that happens yeah. all the time with Stanley Johnson. Yeah, they kill me. You've, you've got like you've got the like the lowest release on your three of any perimeter player in the he league. Does. Why are you shooting over guys with 15 seconds on the shot clock? Right. It's so strange to me. Yeah, and it's it's probably things like that where this season at least I I would be happy if it brings in a superstar. And I think just the NBA has previous trades in the NBA have shown us if you're bringing in the superstar. Outside of maybe the Love and Wiggins trade, which you know I'm I'm not sure if Cleveland would would want to to take that one back, but most of the time if you're the team getting the superstar, you just take it, you know, hoping that you can take a run at a title uh, sooner rather than later. 
Uh, someone, Jacob, I know you mentioned in, in kind of you know your email talking about was Blake Griffin. Are the Pistons a team that should have any interest in Blake Griffin if he comes available at the deadline? It's a tougher sell, but yes, because it's Blake Griffin. He's not as good of a fit. It's a little bit weirder. Like It's yeah. a little bit funkier with what's happening, and you can blame it a little bit more on Blake Griffin. But I do think he can play with Drummond, and I think, you know, I think we forget a little bit easy too easily that this is a guy who is pretty clearly the third best player in the league during the playoffs last year and mm-hmm. was in legitimate conversation for playoff MVP. Do you worry about the fit with Andre Drummond at all? Uh, yes and no. I mean, he fits with DeAndre Jordan just fine, so I don't see why. True. Shouldn't be much of a difference. Andre Drummond should be a huge problem. I mean, I don't think it's an optimal fit, and I think the fact that the Clippers have been okay with him out sort of points to that, but it's not a fit I look at and seeing, think like, wow, that just can't work at all. It could work, but you'd have to do some upgrading at the 2 and 3 with respect to the three-point shot because if you bring him in right now to this roster, you're going to have the same problems that you had yeah. with Greg Monroe just with a more athletic player. Yeah. It's just going to be a congested, clogged-up mess. Yeah, I completely agree that what what I was thinking of with Blake Griffin was it would be similar issues to what we had with Greg Monroe unless we saw some shooting out of, out of you know, really the spot next to him, that other forward spot. I'm not sure if Marcus Morris is enough. I think that would be too much of a log jam, having the three of them on the same roster, uh, at least having the three of them on the floor at the same time. I, I do like the idea of Blake Griffin as a small ball five, uh, and I, that just doesn't work for the Pistons. You know, Andre Drummond right. is, is right. our superstar, so... Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Blake Griffin elsewhere. I think it's no, good this for. No, probably isn't. It's it's not a it's not a great trade. It's just something that you have to consider if the offer is out there. That's all. But it's Definitely. it's not a trade that the Pistons would ever make. Yeah, I mean the Clippers make it work because they have such fantastic perimeter shooters. I think that's where the that's where it goes wrong for the current roster. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind really seeing. Uh, Blake Griffin playing elsewhere just because you see how well the Clippers are playing without him and just kind of having uh, DeAndre and, and Chris Paul run a you know almost Jackson and Drummond style pick and roll game and and then you have some pretty solid shooters all around them. I would like to see Griffin you know maybe maybe somewhere else. I know OKC is is been a a possible destination. Every superstar Miami is a destination. You know New York or Boston, but I'll be interested to see if he moves and and when if it's if it's this off season given the issues he's had. Uh, and I think part of that will depend on how well that team continues to play without him. The Warriors and Spurs are just causing every team out in the West, I think, to reevaluate what they're doing. Teams like the Clippers and Oklahoma City, I think there could be a lot of turmoil there just because those other two teams, if they realize that they can't beat them, there could be some pretty big shakeups that could really change the landscape of the league a lot. No, that's very true. Yeah, because what what are you a little like the question you posed to us with the Pistons? You know, what's the benefit of being the three to five seed? Are you are you happy enough with that for the next few seasons? It's the same with those Western Conference teams. Are are they going to be happy? You know, playing behind San Antonio and Golden State, who just look to be the the class of that conference right now. Uh, yeah, it definitely is probably making some teams reevaluate how they're putting their rosters together. Looking also more at kind of the longer term of this team. Uh, if we do hold on to our draft pick, if it's not part of a, a package deal for Kevin Love, uh, a first-round pick this year, Jacob, you had a piece uh, that was actually posted today on DetroitBadBoys.com looking at the top prospects in the 2016 draft. Uh, any prospects that you really like for the Pistons, uh, given that you know they could be drafting somewhere between you know 
a high lottery spot and, you know, maybe somewhere in the 20s. Um, where, was there any player in that uh, ranking for you that you really liked for the Pistons? Yeah, it's interesting because it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, do you think Stan Van Gundy as a drafter is going to look at a late lottery pick and look for an immediate contributor and try to draft like a, a college stud, you know, a guy who put up amazing numbers in college? Mm-hmm. And if he does look that way, I think a couple guys that could be interesting fits with the Pistons are Buddy Heald from Oklahoma and Denzel Valentine from Michigan State. Guys that are just incredible shooters in college. Very, I mean, Heald is more of just kind of a gunner. This is a guy who has put up insane numbers at Oklahoma, 25.9 points per game on only 18 shooting positions. He's shooting over 51% from three-point range on mm. over eight attempts per game. And... So That's he's insane. kind of the shooting option. Denzel Valentine is more of a I, – I see him as kind of a poor man's Clay Thompson with his ability to move the ball and shoot from a tall shooting guard position. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, he might be a little bit more one-dimensional in the pros because I don't really believe in his driving and his creation and his kind of relies on a lot of contested mid-rangers that are just going to get blocked in the NBA. That's true. Buddy he, Buddy Heald's numbers are insane. I didn't realize that taking almost eight a game, he's averaging fifty percent from three. That's that's amazing. I I wonder how how much of uh, his draft stock is, is hurt by the fact that he stayed in school. Exactly what I thought when I read that piece. Same exact thing. It's 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 really a shame. You're still getting someone who's what twenty three on draft day, maybe twenty two. Uh, I'm not even sure if he's quite that old, but I, I would I would think Buddy Heald, just looking at this year's just stock of players, I feel like he should be a, a top 10 pick. I don't know if he will be, and if he slides, that's someone I would love to see the Pistons get because he just he looks like someone who should be I, – I actually I heard a, a comparison to J.J. Redick recently, and I don't know if it's just the three-point shooting. I'm not sure how closely their games resemble each other, but – uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting comparison, and that would be a perfect fit for the Pistons. A guy that I'm interested in, I put him number 11 on my board, even though he's in the late first round on ESPN and Draft Express, is Joe Chi from China. He's a mobile seven foot two guy with an incredible kind of outside stroke, and he's just such a smooth athlete at such an incredibly huge size, you know. You look at him and sort of think like Chinese Kristaps Porzingis, and obviously I would have him higher than number 11 if I thought he was actually going to be Kristaps Porzingis. But he's sort of a guy that I look at, and it's like, this guy's tools are just so amazing that he's worth a gamble in that range. So if the Pistons are sitting on like the 17th or 18th pick, this is a guy I would really want them to look at if he's still around. Yeah, just to pause it for a second, because I had another couple questions to ask you about um, your board as well. Kristaps Porzingis, if you had to redraft the the 2015 NBA draft, Jacob, without even taking a current roster uh, under consideration, is Kristaps Porzingis the best player in that draft class? No, Carl Anthony Towns is, but Kristaps Porzingis is a pretty clear number two to me. I actually, I think I, I probably make more of an argument for him at at, at one with Anthony Towns as a close two. Uh, I've been really just maybe it's just because I'm so surprised by how good he looks. Uh, every night with the Knicks, but I, I've been really impressed by him, and uh, you're right, Anthony Towns is is someone that uh, probably is deserving of, of Rookie of the Year this season, for sure. Porzingis is awesome. They're both awesome. I mean, I love yeah. I love both of them. I would have either of their children, but uh, <laughs> Towns is my number one prospect. The guy just, like, he reduces me to giggles every night I watch him. Yeah. Because I, I live in Minnesota right now, so I'm watching a lot of Wolves, and that guy is just... 
that roster is still a tire fire, and that guy is just so good, and he's so young. <laughs> have in Minnesota, if you're seeing T Wolves games, have they uh, uh, released uh, Zach Levine from his uh, roster hole purgatory yet, or is he still he's still getting his eight to ten minutes a night? Oh, he's uh, he's playing twenty five thirty minutes a night. Oh, good for him. But, All right, uh, good. Yeah, they have him as as a point guard. So there's just basically writers all over the internet are furious about them playing him at point guard instead of shooting guard because he's been pretty consistently awesome at shooting guard and instead they're playing him at backup point guard and blocking Tyus Jones and several other decent point guards that they have yeah and it's I I know there's some frustration about that and I feel like that might be one of the things that can cost Sam Mitchell his his job permanently of, with that team. One of many things. <laughs> yes, one of many things. Uh, the rest of your draft board I thought was so interesting. You know, we talked about the big men in 2015, and we can add Jalil Okafor uh, to that group as well, uh, of just great big men that went toward the top of that draft. There's a log a jam. Yeah, yeah, there's a log jam of, of centers on your list. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I mean, I love centers in general. <laughs> Part of the reason why it's so fun to be a Pistons fan. But I just yeah. think that, you know, centers are just rarer, you know. There just aren't as many of them. So I think they're more valuable commodities in general. And then it's so easy to salivate about guys like, you know, a guy like Dragan Bender, who I don't think a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. Just he's so skilled. And I think that's kind of the one weakness that the NBA still has that you can sort of exploit is if you have a guy who can shoot, handle the ball, move around, dribble, drive past, you know, slow footed centers like Omar Ashik or what I thought Aaron Baines was before this year. That's pretty much an mm-hmm. easy way to win. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of what the Warriors have done so well is that you have a guy like Draymond Green. He can defend any center, but he can just abuse any center on offense. And that's obviously only one of the reasons that makes them so good but i think i may be buying into that too much if it is just a fad like a lot of older fans than me say yeah a lot of centers definitely but it's good for the pistons if you've got a lot of big guys uh that are going to go toward the top of the draft that should mean better wing players falling into you know the the teens in the draft when you've got guys like Dragon Bender and Henry Ellison, uh, Ivan Rab, Diamond Stone, just to go through your list. And one of the guys I like, but you know, not on this team, just because we already have our our center is uh, uh, Jacob Pertle or Jakob Pertle, however you want to jazz up and 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 make that name sound more foreign than it probably is. You've got great centers this year, and it should help the Pistons if they're looking for three point shooting and some help on the wings. Uh, if if you've got centers and point guards as well, uh, being the what's uh, what's standing out at the top of the draft. Definitely, and that's one of the reasons I think Brandon Ingram could potentially be a number one pick is just what he provides is awesome, and it's so unique to anybody else in the draft class. Yeah, even even above Ben Simmons? I, I don't think it's crazy. Hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, I think they're both awesome prospects with uh, a couple of small warts. I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if you told me that Ingram was going to be the number one pick. I still think it's going to be Simmons, but Ingram's awesome. Yeah, definitely. That wraps up this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I want to thank Jacob so much for coming on. And it looks like we might have a resident draft guru. We might have to go to the <laughs> Kyvenhoven big board and get some updates throughout the season like uh, like ESPN does with the Kuiper big board. So we'll definitely uh, have you in awesome. soon. 
you. Yeah, of course. Ivan Hoven is a way better name than Kuiper, so I think just on that fact alone, you've got the advantage. Way better, <laughs> and you don't have to do anything crazy to your hair because this isn't on TV, so we don't we just don't care. So yeah, thank you, Jacob. We'll definitely be checking in soon, uh, talking about the D League and and uh, talking about draft prospects as well. And thank you, Ben, as always, for uh, joining me on another episode. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Kudos, Jacob. I think the uh, Memphis Grizzlies comparison is going to stick with me as I'm thinking about this team's future uh, for the next few weeks. Leave you with this thought, though. The going-to-work Pistons might be the same kind of team that the Grizzlies are not now, and we know what happened with that team with just a couple key trades. So I'll leave you guys with that thought until we talk next time. Very true. That We could just be one Rasheed Wallace away from uh, really going to work with this team. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, continue to find this podcast and all of your Pistons information on DetroitBadBoys.com. Thanks so much for listening.